Getting big distance is a dream for so many players. And throwing Anheuser is the easiest way to do it right off the bat. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to episode 24 of Teach Play Disc Golf, a Gladiator Disc Golf podcast. I'm your host, Antonio, and I am so excited to have you with me here today. We, I have uh, some really fun stuff planned. As you heard in the opener, we're going to be talking about throwing Anheuser. After that, I want us to take a moment and basically just discuss, because everybody in the disc golf world is talking about it this week, Let's go ahead and let's discuss who is the best disc golfer this season, especially uh, mainly focusing in the MPO division. After that, we will recap Idlewild, and then we will close out the episode by previewing D-Glow or the Discraft Great Lakes Open. That is a fun one, and I can't wait to talk about that. But that is episode 24, so let's go ahead and let's get right into it. Alrighty, so like I said in the opener, truthfully, um, for most players, the, the best way to get biggest distance is to throw with Anheuser or to throw a disc that turns a lot. We have we hear a lot about, um, I even talk about this, throwing an understable disc, Heiser flip is, is one way to do it to kind of control just how much turn you get. But basically, one thing you see a lot of players do, especially on the Pro Tour, is they take a disc and they throw it on Anheuser. So I want us to focus on not just how to get distance, okay, because there's a whole lot that comes with getting distance. But one aspect of that, and really the main focus of what we're going to talk about in this episode, is how to throw Anheuser with each of the different stabilities. We have an understable disc, a neutral disc, and an overstable disc. So we're going to start with overstable because for the most part, in zero wind, um, well, I shouldn't say in zero wind, but for the most part of what we see, especially on the Pro Tour, uh, we see a lot of professionals taking overstable discs for uh, some of these big max distance shots. Now, if there's a tailwind, they're going to throw something a little flippier because the tailwind will help that. But in any other situation, we see most pros taking an overstable disc. Now, how are they throwing it on Anheuser and then thereby getting maximum distance? They are throwing a flex line. And what that means when you're taking an overstable disc and throwing a flex line, it means that you are uh, taking that overstable disc and having it and throwing it on Anheuser angle. Now, what Anheuser is, in case you're unaware, is if you have the disc flat, let me grab a, a sample disc here. For those of you that are watching video, and I'll describe this for those listening to the audio, a flat shot is exactly what it sounds. The disc is, you know, flat. If you're throwing Heiser, the outside of the disc is pointed down. If you're throwing Anheuser, the outside of the disc is pointed up on release. So when the disc is coming out of your hand, the outside of the disc is going to be higher or um, yeah, higher or above your hand for the Anheuser line. And what that's going to do is it's going to force a disc for a right hand backhand to pan from left to right. This is really ideal uh, when you're trying to get around a corner with a backhand, or in this case, when you're throwing a flex line. You see on an 
on a flex line, you're going to choose an overstable disc because the overstable disc will carry that Anheuser line you're putting it on, but the stability of it is going to fight out to finish flat and depending on just how overstable the disc is, may even come back and fade. And so you often hear a lot of the S, the S shape, um, putting some turn or Anheuser on the disc and then it fades out and it forms this sort of S shape. Uh, depending how you look at it, it could be backwards, <laughs> you know, but that's how you would throw an overstable disc on Anheuser. Now there are some pros and cons to this. And obviously a pro is going to be, you're going to get a lot of distance out of this because uh, as long as you give it enough height, the disc is going to work to fight out of that line. So it's going to carry a little bit more. The downside to this is that if you're unfamiliar with the disc you're using on the flex line, it's possible that it will fade out of the turn too soon. And what that, what that means is you're expecting it to turn a lot more and then all of a sudden it's going to start fading and basically you're going to completely miss your line. And when an overstable disc starts fading, it's going to keep going left. So you're going to get really far off the fairway, possibly OB, possibly even lose your disc. So that is the risk with throwing an overstable disc on Anheuser. Now, the other way to throw Anheuser uh, is with a neutral disc. And now when I'm talking here real quick about like throwing Anheuser, in, in the simplest form, you throw Anheuser, like I said in the beginning, with the outside of the disc uh, pointed up or higher than your hand is where you're holding it. That is what it looks like when it comes out of your hand on your throw. But for this practice, what we've been doing the last couple of weeks is talking about how to throw Heiser flat and Anheuser now with different stabilities. And so the Anheuser is also talking about here kind of how to get some turn out of the disc. I'm using it interchangeably, but I just want to make sure that that's clear before I continue. Um, Anheuser is one thing. Yes, turn is another. But here I'm sort of using them interchangeably to dis to talk about how we're getting the disc for righty uh, right hand backhand, getting the disc to go from left to right. And so if you're going to throw Anheuser with a neutral disc, typically this is what you would do for something like a turnover shot. Now a turnover shot, um, you wanna choose a disc, and this is why I say a neutral disc, you wanna choose a disc that has a little bit of stability, a little bit of integrity to it. Not enough to necessarily fight out early, but enough to uh, finish flat. You see a turnover disc is a great way to get around a, a curve going left to right or, or dog leg right. If you can't throw the forehand because you either don't have the skill set yet or it's just not the most comfortable shot depending on the tee pad or depending on where you might be pitching out or throwing from in the fairway. Sometimes the backhand turnover line is better than the forehand shot. And so you wanna throw that neutral disc because you're going to be able to uh, put a little less Anheuser on it than if you were throwing an overstable disc and the disc is going to work with you. The reason you don't wanna throw an understable disc uh, for your normal turnover line, there might be some extenuating circumstances, but in most circumstances, you don't wanna throw too understable of a disc for this uh, on a turnover line be is the disc will turn too much. And it's really just then going to turn into a roller, which is something we'll talk about later. So you wanna choose something that's more neutral, will hold the line that you put it on, but have enough stability or integrity to finish flat, and that will help reduce skips and rollaways when it hits the ground.
The other way to throw an Anheuser line or to get the disc rather to move left to right is to throw an understable disc flat. Now the reason I say flat is because if it's a really understable disc, it's going to turn and it's potentially going to turn into a roller, which you know we'll, uh, we'll talk about here in just a second. But one thing to keep in mind with an understable disc is that a lot of them, in my experiences, understable discs have a lot of glide uh, in order to kind of get that turn and then for most of them, some fade at the end, there has to be a lot of glide on it. And it could just be kind of the way the discs, the way the physics handles it, like turn is gonna have a lot of glide. You don't really see, I can't think of any off the top of my head, understable discs with zero glide. I just don't know that it works that way, like physically. Um, but throwing uh, an understable disc flat, one thing you have to keep in mind is that you need to give the disc air or throw it up a little higher, give it some elevation, so to speak. You don't want to throw something two feet off the ground and then expect that understable disc not to turn over because it's going to turn over and it won't have enough time to turn into a roller. So it's going to kind of catch edge and then roll to the left uh, on a righty backhand. So you wanna make sure when throwing an understable disc flat that you give it some good air, not necessarily up into the sky, but you get some air under it, some good elevation, maybe 10, 20 feet um, up in the air so that the disc can pan and turn to the right um, and give you that, that sort of Anheuser line that you're looking for depending on what the shot is calling for. That is sort of, those three stabilities. You know, the simplest way to throw an overstable disc on Anheuser is with a flex line, a neutral disc for a turnover, just releasing it on some Anheuser, and then an understable disc flat. Now, as I've mentioned, you also have a roller. Now, this is where it becomes very specific to the player because I was watching Idlewild earlier today before recording this. I was catching up on some uh, coverage and I saw uh, Kevin Jones throw the Prodigy Reverb, which is 13504. He threw that on a roller line. Now, I have one, I have a reverb that I got from OTB. I I, uh, I reviewed it. It is stupid overstable. Now, I just don't have the arm speed, especially for overstable distance drivers, but the fact that he threw that on a roller, what I'm getting at is you need to <laughs> you need to one practice your rollers and with different stabilities and because they're all going to react differently so like if i tried throwing the reverb on a roller on a backhand roller it might fight out of that anheuser line before it potentially hits the ground because it's so under uh, so overstable but for kevin jones it was probably a more seasoned one he's probably been throwing it all year and so he was really comfortable throwing that disc on a roller line even though it started off really overstable and so for most players, you are going to want to choose an understable disc for a roll line. There are very few players, unless they're looking for a specific, uh, specific roller line, they're going to throw understable discs. And I mean like understable discs for anyone. Avenger SS is a popular roller disc for Discraft Pros. You can take destroyers and roll them. Um, I think you. I think the Enforcer is a slightly overstable dynamic disc driver. We see Ricky rolling those from time to time. So 
You can take more overstable discs and roll them, but even still, the pros are normally going to choose an understable disc. And the roller um, falls under this Anheuser category for me, even though it is a different type of throw, because the way you throw it is very similar to a flat or a turnover line, I should say, but the end result is different. So you know how I said the turnover line is with a neutral disc? Well, if you took an understable disc and threw that same turnover line, you would have a roller. So that's why I recommend if you're trying to work on throwing Anheuser, trying to get comfortable with it, uh, this is something I am still working on. Anheuser is not my strongest throw. I recommend starting with that neutral disc and working on the turnover line uh, because that can translate to all the other ones. If you can throw that neutral disc on a turnover, you can throw that same line with an understable disc and get the roller. And then you can throw that same line with an overstable disc and get a, a flex line. So it's really the best way to start is with that neutral disc and then expand out from there because then you can kind of learn that one angle that's working for you and then find different stabilities uh, for the flex line and for the roller. But that's kind of why I threw the roller into here. Basically what's going to happen with the roller is that it's going to keep turning on that turnover line and hit the ground on an edge. And this is where it becomes really skillful because you want to be able to control how much angle it has on the ground. You don't want it to be standing upright because then it's gonna fall over a lot sooner. And you don't want it to be too close to the ground to where the flight plate is pointing up because then it's gonna cut roll and you don't want that. So it's this real delicate um, placing of your roller shot, which is why they require a lot of practice. And it's part of the reason why I haven't practiced my rollers a lot is because um, I just imagine it would be way harder to track all the discs down <laughs> when they're rollers and you're learning them. And so I'm not, I, I don't quite know the best way to practice rollers other than doing it. So if you have any tips on that, please let me know. Um, but aside from just going to a massive field and throwing rollers, uh, I'm pretty sure that's the only option that I can think of. But that is basically how you throw Anheuser. You take an overstable disc on a flex line, a neutral disc on a turnover line, an understable disc on a flat line, and if you wanna go even uh, crazier with your Anheuser line, you take an understable disc, throw it on the turnover line, and you get a roller. So I hope this series that we've done the last few weeks has been super helpful for you. How to Throw Heiser was two episodes ago. Last week, we or three weeks ago, was um, How to Throw Heiser. Then I believe I took a break in between those two, just wasn't able to get to it. And then last week, I talked about throwing flat or straight shots. And then this week, the, uh, the Anheuser line. So I hope you found that information helpful. Um, if you have any questions about it, respond to this video. Um, if you're listening to the podcast version of it, please feel free to message me on Discord or on Instagram, and I'll answer your question and help you with that. And if you're working on this skill in the field and you want some feedback, you know, you're working on it, but it's not quite happening the way you want, let me know. I can coach you on GiveGo. You can send me a video for free with my discount code and I can give you some feedback and help you accomplish your goals with disc golf coaching. So uh, I wanted to just let you know about that. Now, same as last week, we do not have a disc review. I really apologize about that, everybody. Um, I don't like going multiple weeks without a disc review, but unfortunately, I just 
I've been uh, playing some rounds with beginners and it's literally, I played with two people in the last week who have never played before and it was so much fun. Uh, but because of that, I uh, was not focusing on trying new discs or, you know, not just even new discs to me, but discs I, discs I have that I haven't reviewed yet, haven't had that opportunity. I was working with them, having fun, and I just want to say they both loved it. I'll talk about that more here in just a little second. But I do want to mention that our disc review, this uh, show's disc review is sponsored by OTB Discs. So if you ever want to get some new discs, I strongly recommend going to OTB. They are the absolute best, not just in their name. They really, really are some amazing people there. And if you use my discount code GladiatorDG, you can save on shipping, which is huge because... Uh, you know, every 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 dollar with all this inflation that's going on. I know things are starting to settle down a little bit, but I know groceries are still expensive. And so if you're buying discs, save yourself a couple bucks here and there. Use my discount code to save on shipping. So before I get into the controversy, or not controversy, the debate about who's the best MPO player this season, is it Calvin or Gannon? And we'll get into some details there. I do want to just share something. Um I always end every episode talking about teach, play, disc golf. Go out, teach somebody how to play, encourage someone, whether virtually or in person, make sure you play disc golf yourself, and then just have a great round, right? I, I always end the episodes that way. I had one of the best weeks of disc golf because I was able to play with two guys on separate days who had never played disc golf before. They had heard of it, either because of me or for, for from other people or other places they lived, but it was such a blast and it was so much fun just watching their faces light up and seeing, you know, after a couple throws here or there with this disc, you know, having just the being able to watch the disc in flight. And it's incredible working with someone who's never thrown a disc before on hole one. And by the time they get to hole, th you know, for some people, they learn a little bit quicker. Maybe it's hole seven, maybe it's hole 12, or maybe it's hole 15. But finally, things start to kind of click in that first round. They start to kind of figure out like, okay, this disc is going to do this, you know, in, in their in very limited understanding, and then being able to do it. And it was so cool. Both guys had spectacular throws all throughout the round, and they each had one throw that I think was memorable for them, and I know it was for me. Um, because it was just incredible to watch my, my first friend, uh, Josiah, he, I, so I, each of these guys play with the same three discs. I, I let them borrow a trash panda disc intercore, a discraft comet and a lone star disc dome. And they're all neutral or understable discs. I practice what I preach. Okay. And so they each had, they were using those on separate days and Josiah used that, had the comet on, on whole, I believe it was. Uh, hole 13 at Crockett, he threw the comet and it was just a laser beam. And then on another hole, he went and threw the dome and it was just such a pretty straight flight. He was really liking that disc a lot. And, and it was just awesome because I think about those throws, I'm like, yes, this is how <laughs> they fall in love with the sport. And then Two days later, I was playing with my buddy Jared, who had never played before either, and he was using the same set of discs. And then on hole 15 at Crockett Park, 
he uh, he threw the dome on a nice little hyzer line, and it was really pretty. But the next thing is what was amazing. Jared was about 65 feet out from the basket, and he had two trees directly in front of him. Now, he could go for par and just kind of pitch around the tree and settle for the par, but it was also his first day playing, so, you know, pitching around a tree is a lot easier when you kind of know how to do it. And so he said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make this putt. I'm going to run this birdie. So I see Jared kind of standing at his lie, lining up. Now I'm standing to the side because I'm trying to stay out of his way and not distract him because there's this cove of trees that we're in. And so you really have to focus even if you're a veteran player. So I just saw it from the side, but all of a sudden I see this disc with steam with some mustard on it okay with some heat behind it also this this disc come in between these two trees from 65 feet away and just smack the middle of the chains and jared got his first birdie ever and it was just awesome uh, from 65 feet out with the inner core he just putted that thing with some juice and it went right in the heart of the chains i mean this disc didn't just barely make it in. It hit the heart of the chains, and it was so cool to see. It was so fun to experience uh, the different emotions with both of them, and they both had a blast, and we already have plans to, to uh, meet up and play again in the future, and so I'm super, super excited. But I wanted to share that with you for two reasons, to share um, some of the fun disc golf uh, rounds that I've had recently, but also to encourage you to really go out. And if you know you haven't talked to somebody yet, whether it's at work or just friends in the neighborhood, uh, take them out to disc golf. Keep it really simple. I strongly recommend that if you're giving your friends uh, or coworker or family member, you know, two or three discs that are neutral to understable. I want to encourage you to also do the same. I have a small bag that I use, so I only had a handful more discs, but I was pretty much throwing the same. I pretty much throw the same kind of stabilities. I don't have a ton of overstable discs in my bag because it's just my playing style, and so it. I, I say that because it's helpful for them to feel like, hey, you're kind of playing the same kind of game with them versus them having three discs or two discs and you're carrying, you know, a full Ranger bag or a Squatch bag or a Pound bag that's full of 25, 30 discs. Um, kind of keeping it simple like that can, all, can make them feel a lot better about the discs that they're using. And I would, rec I would encourage you to... Uh, coach them along the way if they're asking questions like Josiah was asking a lot of questions and there were multiple times I told him like just so you know that's a great question but we're getting super into the weeds now <laughs> about some of the stuff you're asking about and I don't know that any of it's going to make sense and I also don't want you to necessarily try anything that I'm telling you but eventually it will all make more sense as you just continue to work on it and so um that, that was really fun, just you know who was interested in what. And so basically, long story short, I just want to encourage you guys to go out there and teach some people how to play. It makes you a better player because all of a sudden, you're really slowing down what you do and saying, okay, what am I going to throw here? 
what should they be throwing here as somebody who isn't going to be able to clear this creek or get around these trees so kind of strategizing for them as well to help them it really helps you develop your own game because you might realize like hey i've been trying this one thing and because i think i can do it but when i told them what to do they did it they did something different and that's actually the best play here you know you might learn something from that too so i want to encourage you to do that and if you have any stories about you know teaching people how to play disc golf i want to hear them so please reach out to me on discord or uh, instagram i want to hear about it in youtube comments that's great too but that's all i wanted to say now let's go ahead and let's get back to our regular regularly scheduled program where we are going to discuss i'm going to discuss who is the best disc golfer this season, Calvin or Gannon? We, we've been talking about this in um, my Discord server. And uh, obviously, they were talking about it on coverage a little bit. And here's the thing. I want to just say right off the bat, these two players are not quite, in my opinion, at the level of where we were always talking about Ricky versus Paul. There's a reason why the Ricky versus Paul debate was happening. They were winning between the two of them, their eight world championships, well, minus Paul's sixth one that he just won because that was a few years after his fifth one. The first seven of the eight between the two of them was all around the same time. It's been several years now since Ricky won a world championships. I definitely think he's still capable of doing it and I'd love to see him get a third one. But that Ricky versus Paul was because of championships like world championships yes they were winning these major events these elite series or really the kind of the big events before we had the disc golf pro tour you know all these things we had the uh i think it was just called the pro tour or the national tour that's what it was the national tour so we had these big events that then got transferred over to the disc golf pro tour but i do not put either calvin or gannon on this on that level yet simply because we're not talking about world championships yet now for this season i'm going to have to side with calvin and here's why yes calvin has three wins on the season gannon has five so gannon wins that calvin's ad average finish in a tournament is on the podium it's like three point something he pretty much is finishing on the podium every single event and remember who did that last year kristen tatar yes kristen won most of the events where she that she finished on the podium but that is incredible to do the consistency required for that is impeccable gannon if i remember from the uh infographic that i saw earlier i think gannon's average finish is like 11th 10th or 11th around there so sitting just outside like top 10 average finish which don't get me wrong i would be thrilled if i was on the pro tour with an average finish of 11th place or 10th place. Like that would be phenomenal. But so Gannon has one more, but Gannon is a little less consistent. He'll get a first place, right? And then he'll get a 20th place. And so you kind of have that average out now to about 10th or 11th place. Whereas Calvin is always in the top three more or less because that's his average finish. And so I think Calvin is the best disc golfer this season because he's always consistent. He doesn't really have off weekends. He is always in the mix. And if you look at some of his defeats where he got second place, you're looking at people who, you're looking at players who 
are great players because they're on tour, but they, I heard someone, my, someone in my discord server said this the best. He's lost to guys who literally had the best weekend of their lives. Ryan, thank you so much for sharing that comment. Cause that was that when you, when you said that I was like, yeah, like, Cole Rodolin is a great disc golfer, and I think he has a bright future, but he played out of his mind last week. Calvin got second, and not by not by much. <laughs> like he was not too far behind. I think I think it was five strokes, yes, but I mean, you're talking about someone who just played the best tournament of their life, and Calvin was only a few strokes behind him. So I do think there's some of that to consider. Now, I will say I initially had the same thought that Nate or Nate Sexton or Paul Uobari had on coverage. It's kind of like the MJ and LeBron conversation, someone who's won all of them and someone who's just been really consistent. And I understand the implications because I was thinking that, but I think it gets a little too muddy because neither of these players yet are at that level of being considered the best in the game. I think their ceilings are very high. I think both of them are going to win world championships and USDGCs and have a lot of titles by the end of their careers. But I think it's a little uh, disingenuous to start comparing them to greatest of all times, even in other sports for comparison's sake. And so that's why I'm not even comparing them to the likes of Paul and Ricky when we had the Ricky versus Paul battles all the time, because I think that's disingenuous because these guys are not duking it out every weekend, one thing. And then the other is neither of them have, have a world championship yet. Yes, Gannon has a USDGC, but like, you know, this is all just my opinion. And so all that to say, I think Calvin is the better disc golfer this weekend. Even Gannon agrees with that on his Instagram story. And so I just, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. They're both playing out of their mind. They're both doing great, super happy for them. It's great for disc golf. But um, I do think Calvin is the better disc golfer as of right now. Now, if Gannon wins another thing or wins a big major, that might change. But I think Vinny is totally positioned to win something big this season. And so that's kind of where I stand on the Calvin versus Gannon. I want to hear from you. What do you think? Do you agree with me? Is there a reason that I haven't thought of or that I, that I didn't bring up that you agree with me? Um, or do you disagree? Because don't get me wrong, just as easily as I could argue Calvin being the number one disc golfer right now, I could also argue Gannon, okay? Um, there are so many different ways to gauge. Number one, you have disc golf pro tour points you have rating, you have wins. I mean, and you and you consider all those things and Calvin is two out of three. He's got the rating, the higher rating, and he has the most pro tour points because he finishes in the top three every single week. But Gannon has the wins. So it now kind of just becomes this, okay, it's two to one. And I think even if you're looking at it there, you kind of have to tip the cap uh, to Calvin a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I, how I feel about all that. So let's go ahead and let's recap Idlewild, one of my favorite tournaments every year. So I love this course. It is so cool. They've made some changes over the years. I, uh, I don't know if I just missed it, but I watched the MPO and FPO coverage and maybe it was just different camera angles, but literally as I'm watching, I'm I don't remember seeing the curvy snaky hole that we normally have seen in years past. 
So I don't know what happened with that. I don't re even recall any commentary about it. So if you know anything about that, please let me know. But I was a little sad to not see that. But anyway, Idlewild was awesome. It was so much fun. I love this event. It's always a good one. Yes, the rainstorms did make an appearance. It definitely postponed some things. It definitely made it interesting for MPO, uh, especially the lead card. They decided to opt for, they opted for playing in the dark versus finishing the round at 7.30 in the morning and then having to play a full round later that day. Um, so that's what they opted for. I don't blame them. You're kind of already in the groove. You're already out there. And last thing you want to do is wake up early, play around, and then have to kind of like settle down, but then also warm up again to go play later. So I think they made a the right call and it really worked out. You know, no, I think Gannon benefited the most by getting one or two birdies on the final couple holes in the dark. But the other players were kind of just neutral. Maybe they pretty much all took pars, maybe a bogey here or there, but nothing too significant in my opinion. But like I said, Gannon, uh, I haven't said this yet, but Gannon won, in case you didn't know. Uh, no spoiler, you know, I don't believe in spoilers here. This stuff has been out for a couple days now. Uh, but Gannon won again, uh, which kind of is the reason why we have all been having this Gannon versus Calvin talk. But m to me, more importantly... It is so good to see Valerie Mandahano back in the winner's circle. She's definitely one of my favorite FPO players, and she played so well. I want to strongly encourage you, if you don't, one, watch FPO coverage to improve your game. Two, watch Valerie Mandahano on coverage or on her Instagram to improve your game. Very, very clean form. Uh, great player, makes smart decisions. Um, obviously, no player is immune to blow up holes here or there, you know, double bogeys, they happen. But Valerie just plays a very smart and controlled game, similar to um, her husband, Mason. He plays a very smart and controlled game. And so I definitely would encourage you to follow both of them, but definitely Valerie if you're not, and to kind of learn from her. Because her game is great. I was stoked to see Alexis Mandahano on lead card coverage for round two as well with her sister. I thought that was just awesome. Unfortunately, round two did not go that well for Alexis. Uh, and so she was off the lead card by the third and final round. But the, the, the tournament overall was just so much fun to watch. That course is so cool. They've made a lot of changes. But they've been such great changes. They've made some par fours they made some par threes uh more reasonable par fours um and a lot of the par fours are super um they they can reward the aggressive players um but they can also pose you know it's high risk high reward there's also a lot of risk involved with those so that is just really cool to see i think one of the coolest shots uh, or one of the coolest holes is hole five or six where the players have to throw over water and then there's a line of trees between them and the basket and behind that line of trees is another small pond, another body of water and the basket is on a slight uphill. And most of the players are trying to get as far into that line of trees so that they can approach the basket easily. Kevin Jones decides, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna throw just a mid range off the tee and Jeremy Colling uh, did the, uh, Oh my gosh, he he bushnelled rangefinder. <laughs> That's it. He he took the rangefinder from where uh, 
Kevin had done it in round two to see the basket. Kevin is going about 400 to 450. He's laying up, so to speak, 400 to 450 feet away from this basket and then throwing a grenade over the trees and over the pond to get into uh, the circle, which throwing a grenade 400 feet is just absolutely insane. Throwing grenades to me are hard. I don't really throw them ever. But I've just heard about how hard they are. And also the fact that you're throwing it 400 feet when I'm like, I wish I could just throw a normal shot 400 feet is just really difficult to imagine. Um, so yeah, so that there are a lot of really cool shots, a lot of really cool opportunities for players to score. Um, and I just think the the risk reward factor uh, at Idlewild is so entertaining. I will say I do agree with Nate Sexton on his observation in round one or two, I think it was round two actually, where he talked about it doesn't make sense for there to be OB, that like short OB on holes where if you miss the fairway, it's already super punishing. It doesn't really seem necessary. I do wish there was a little less OB where it didn't need it to be unless there were safety concerns, but it did seem on some of the holes that the OB was placed there, but it's a little arbitrary because it's not necessarily an unsafe position to be. But I also like to err on the side of no OB unless it's 100% necessary for safety or, or, or those kinds of things. Uh, but just to punish a player when they've already missed the fairway, hit a tree, rolled backwards, and they're already in jail, um, unless, of course, you're doing it for speed of play, which I understand. But overall, I would like less OB on every course, not just Idlewild. Um, but yeah, so that is Idlewild in a nutshell. I like this tournament a lot. It's always super fun to watch. It always is competitive. So uh, let's go ahead and let's recap the uh, final standings. So we had, number one, Gannon Burr at minus 32. Only two strokes behind him, Calvin Heimberg at minus 30. In third place, Isaac Robinson at minus 28. Fourth place, Paul Ulibarri at minus 26. We have not said Paul's name either in a long time or at all this season in the top 10. But I believe if I saw it correctly, Paul went 23 under the final two days to get him into fourth place. He was tied with Kyle Klein at minus 26. Sixth place, Nico Lacasho at minus 25. Tied for seventh, Nate Hecker, Matteo, and KJ at minus 24. And then tied for 10th, Ricky, Ezra Robinson, and Matt Bell, and Jeremy Colling at minus 23. So nine strokes separating the top 10. Very cool finishing. Uh, and then FPO, we have Valerie Mandahano at minus nine winning the tournament. And once again, Owen Scoggins, second place, minus three. Third place, Holland Hanley at minus one. Fourth place, we had a tie with Missy Gannon and Madison Walker, which is awesome. They both shot even. Sixth place, we had Sarah Hokum, Cadence Burge, uh, Berg, Berger Burge, who's, I believe, only 16 years old. Uh, Lucky Lorenzen, Hannah Wen, Chantel Bedinsky, and Kat Merch all tied for six at plus four. And then 10th place, Macy Vela Diaz at plus five. Macy had a great first round, but then her second and third rounds were a little rougher. 
Um, but that's okay. She's a lot of fun to watch play as well. But that is Idlewild. And I am super excited for this upcoming tournament this weekend. Starting on Thursday, we have the Discraft Great Lakes Open. Uh, now, I'm a little confused here. And it could just be that I misunderstood something. But it sounded like people were talking about how Idlewild was stop 13 of 13. But maybe I misheard and it was top 12 because D-Glow is a Disc Golf Pro Tour Elite Series. So I may have just misheard something. But anyway, I am super excited for this. This is up in Michigan. This course has a ton of elevation. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to see a lot of distance drivers. We're going to see a lot of cool lines. You know, the last three weeks we've talked about uh, throwing hyzers, throwing flat shots, throwing anhyzers. All three of those discs or excuse me, all three of those types of throws with the different stabilities are going to be on display this weekend. So while as you're watching D-Glow, I want to encourage you to keep an eye out for those things and to learn and watch the pros do that. One thing that I am super excited about for D-Glow is coming all the way from Japan. We have Manabu Kajiyama coming all the way from Japan. He is a 1056 rated player. Uh, I believe he is not considered number one in the world because he nor he really only plays over in Japan. But according to PDGA, his rating is 1056. Manabu is sponsored by Prodigy. And if you're fairly new to disc golf, you may not know who Monabu is, but I want to strongly encourage you to go on YouTube and look up some events from years past, especially in Japan. And he is a great thrower of the disc. Monabu has some incredible form, very smooth player. I would say comparable smoothness in my experience to Dr. Smooth himself, Kale Leviska, who's also Prodigy. And so Prodigy just has a really good team this year. It's been actually very surprising. Not that I doubted those players, but just given all the controversy that was surrounding them at the start of the year. So I'm super excited that Monabu is in the house, that he is in America and that he's playing at D-Globe. It will be a lot of fun. I haven't seen his name in any other tournament yet this year. So I'm excited to see him play. I imagine he's probably going to be here for the next few months because you have worlds coming up i believe in september if i'm remembering it correctly and i cannot wait to talk about that in a couple weeks but yes d-glow fun track a lot of elevation we're going to see flex shots we're going to see hyzer flips we're going to see downhill shots we're going to see uphill shots and stability and wind and the angles everything we've been talking about in our disc golf tips the last couple of weeks are going to play into this so i'm super excited for that i hope you can watch it and learn some things from the pros about that i will be picking my grip six picks and sharing them on instagram and on discord but that is all that I have for you, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I want to encourage you, just like I said earlier, go out and teach someone this week how to play. Be an encouragement to them in person or virtually. Send an encouraging word. Um, we need more encouragement and disc golf, more positive coaching, more uh, positive reinforcement. And then make sure that you also get to go out and play some disc golf this week. Um, we're having some hot weather here in Tennessee and it's been uh, hot, but it's been good because it's always fun playing disc golf no matter the weather. And that is all that I have for you, everybody. I hope you enjoy this episode. Make sure that you subscribe on YouTube, follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening for this podcast. Thank you so much, everybody. And until next time, have a great round.